Good morning and welcome back to The Word. My name is Mitchell Weber. Uh, if this is your first time with us, I'm so happy to have you here with us, uh, listening in, joining us. Uh, if this is not your first time, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, I do apologize for this two-week hiatus. Uh, it's been a little, little crazy and as I kind of uh, alluded to in the uh, earlier parts of this podcast, uh, Bear with me. There, there might be instances where, <clears throat> where uh, might have to uh, be flexible here. So, you know, when the episode when chapter five was supposed to come out, or my testimony, it just didn't work out. Uh, Cora uh, unfortunately fell fairly ill with COVID. Unfortunately, so I had a unique opportunity to really care for my wife during that time. Um, thankfully, I didn't come down sick to where come come down with uh, COVID either, so we weren't bolted down, which was good, um, so praise God for that, but she is doing much better, and then this past week has just been a little crazy, and this week uh, in and of itself, it's uh, pretty crazy as well, lots of projects coming up, um, lots of driving to and fro, so thank you for bearing, bearing with me, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere, still uh, still doing this thing, so please uh, reserve the doubts <laughs> if there's any uh, but no, it's good to be back. Good to be back with you all. Rotations are going well. Um, I'm in four, four of nine, about uh, just over halfway done with uh, rotation number four. It's going well. Lots of patient care opportunities and counseling. Um, some great stories, great laughs, and all around just some great people that I'm able to work with. So praise God for that. But anyways, we are in. Psalm 5, chapter 5. Uh, this is the fifth chapter of our series. Um, the goal is, I'm going to try and stick to this, you guys, uh, next episode, so this one will get posted on its regular Monday morning, 6 a.m. I'm really hoping the next episode's the uh, my testimony, and I'll have Cora come in, and she can, um, she can kind of be the interviewer, so you'll probably hear her voice a little bit uh, throughout that next episode, so just be uh, on the lookout for that and get to know me a little better. But, anyways, chapter 5. So we are in Psalm chapter 5. It's been a little while, so we could, uh, if we really wanted to, we kind of take a look back at uh, chapter 4. We remember, um, remember David uh, and his pleads to Christ. Um, he's recalling what his enemy has done, who they are, what they're doing. Uh, and he gives a call to everyone um, to reflect. That was one of the main talking points, I think, from chapter 4, is the sense of reflection. So we can kind of keep that in mind as we are moving into you know, chapter 5 here. And we'll go ahead and read chapter 5, uh, reading from the New King James Version, and then we will dive right in after we pray. Psalm chapter 5. This is the word of God. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil, evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. 
You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear, excuse me, of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. But let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them... Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time that we can come before you again. Lord, that uh, we can listen in, read your word, Father, commit it to our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears, Father. Lord, I pray that during this time that only your word go forth. If anything that I say is contrary or maybe of my own opinion, Father, I pray that it just goes in one ear and out the other. Lord, I pray that uh, we just focus our hearts upon your word through the lens of David here as he is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your constant blessings. I ask for just a hedge of protection around uh, those listening in, those not listening in, Father, for our world, our governing leaders, Father, Lord. Would we all make decisions glorifying and honoring to you, Father. Lord, I pray that we direct our attention to you now. It's your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So I've got this kind of uh, split up here um, in my notes here, that my little schedule that I have as we're working through Psalm 5. Really, I think we can split it up as this. Verses 1 to 3, David's asking God to listen to his prayers, um, his cries, and his uh, meditations. And then in verses 4 to 6, uh, God's promised judgment. Verses 7 to 8, we see a prayer and statement of self, that being David. Verses 9 to 10, we see prayer against enemies. It's interesting, right? And then verses 11 to 12, uh, prayer God's people. So really in those last three, 7 to 8, 9 to 10, and 11 to 12, those uh, two verse sections, they're prayers actually. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on, but I just want to kind of end it um, give you guys an idea where we're headed. But uh, verse 1, right, David is seen again, if we kind of remember back from uh, the last few chapters, to be pleading to God, right? He's saying, give ear to my words, Lord, please consider my meditations. Please give hear, give heed to the voice of my cry. So, so without going out of line here, I think we see a man utterly in need of Christ. And I think that's another situation where David is seen responding to his situation, right? Maybe the weight of his sin. And he's turning it to God. And I think that's important, right? And I think this has been characteristic of uh, the, the, the study so far is that so far in these psalms, it's it's been directed towards Christ, or David's maybe realigning his focus 
or the writer is realigning their focus back to Christ. Right? And I think that'd be the case uh, as we read on, because later on in the chapter, David speaks to himself, his enemies, and the godly. And then in verse 3, David proclaims something, right? David's proclamation to commit his first living acts of the day by communing with his God, right? The morning, think about this. This is, I love this, and I'm a little bit biased. I used to, I still work at a golf course here in Ohio, but I used to work at a golf course back in Colorado, and it was early mornings, 5, 5.30 in the morning sometimes, most of the time. But there was just that stillness of the morning, right? Maybe the sun is just starting to come up, and it's, just creeping over the edges of the Rocky Mountains, and you get those nice oranges burning off the tops of the mountains, the pinks just flowing over, um, some of the red hues, the, the the blue streaks. Like, it was beautiful. It was amazing, right? And it was so still and tranquil. But the morning often contains stillness of air, tranquility, and creation, literally breathing life that God has given it. And it's in this moment... The believer communes with his creator and thus sets his heart upon the direction of the Lord for the day. One of my good friends, Michael Marshall, uh, him and I are both advocates for this, but um, this is how we function. I hope I'm not speaking for him or not revealing too much here. Sorry, Michael, if you're listening into this. Um, but one of the things him and I talked about and kind of share in common is, man, if we don't start our day off with God, it kind of... To, to a sense, dictates how we are going to carry out the rest of our day, right? How we respond, because we haven't started with the Lord. And I'm not saying that you have to do that. It's the only way to be perfect, right? No, that's a lie. You can't be perfect. It's not the only way. It's just what works well for us, right? But I think this is what, here in verse 3, and this is something we can kind of key on with David, right? And again, why a good reason why I advocate uh, starting the day with Christ. If you do not, it's completely fine, right? But if you would give ear to me trying to convince you, uh, at the beginning of the day, you typically don't have maybe any issues or tasks or whatever, right? The day hasn't started. You haven't gone into work. Uh, maybe the emails haven't started flooding in. The text messages haven't started to come in just yet, right? It's calm. It's tranquil. Nothing's really started just yet. And it's here you can really focus your heart and mind on Christ, right? It's not to say you can't do it in other times, but I think it can be helpful to start your day with Him, apart from what the day will bring, right? It's common to, I mean, I'll speak for myself here, it's it's very easy sometimes, sometimes, to, to get caught up in the tasks and situations of the day, right? We're being, depending on where you're at, well, I'll speak for pharmacy. Pharmacy, depending on your position, where you're working, sometimes your attention is being pulled three or four different ways, and you got to, you know, be quick quick to adapt. Sometimes it might be a little frustrating, right? Because you're, you're doing something, you're doing something well, and you're getting pulled to do some, something else. You just, you wanted to focus on this, but maybe you can't give it the time of day you wanted to, right? So you're being pulled in all these directions, and then lo and behold, 5.30 is just showing up in the afternoon, right? It's like, oh, man, where'd my day go, right? How, how did I respond when you kind of reflect back on the day? And, and I think that's important because if 
I, I mean, again, for myself, if I'm not focusing on Christ at the start of the day, how I respond, I'm not saying if I don't start with Christ, then my responses to people, I'm just the ugliest person in the world. No, I'm not saying that either. <laughs> Please don't think of me like that, right? But what I'm saying is I'm more apt to respond maybe in, in, in a worldly way. Or maybe I'm not as nice. You know, maybe I, I don't watch my tone as efficiently as I could, right? Maybe I don't check my inflection. Um, it's all these little things, right? But for me, at least, starting the day with Christ, I'm able to capture those thoughts. I'm able to take captive those thoughts that maybe aren't good, aren't uh, necessary, something that should be, oh, nope, get rid of that. We need to focus on Christ, right? And again, going back to what David here is saying, he's starting his, his day with Christ in the morning, right? And in verse 4, he moves on to speaking to the character of God, right? One of those, well, two of them, maybe we could probably lump it into one. He says he does not approve, that's God, does not approve of evil, and they cannot dwell with you. And then in verse 5, we can move on real quick. Arrogance does not stand in his present as the arrogant typically attempt to do. And then in verse 6, Liars are destroyed, and the violent and deceitful are despised by him. This is by God. These are parts of God, by the way. He is not just only love. And I don't know if this topic is um, spoken of too much. I don't know if we need to put it to rest. But for some reason, it still clings to me that we need to make sure we're not, or make sure we're careful to, to not put God in a box of one characteristic, right? I, yes, he is absolutely love, but he is also judgment. He, he is judge, jury, executioner, if I can put it in those, those terms. But he is just, he is judge, right? If he didn't discipline, right? If he didn't discipline sin, if there weren't consequences to sin, if it was just a free ticket for everybody, then he wouldn't be God. Okay? But David's making it very clear here. And we're going to get into this here, actually. It's very clear. These are characteristics of God, right? I'm not trying to just preach hellfire and brimstone here, but we do need to realize that this part of God is absolutely real. And this kind of gets into the uh, uh, fear of God. Right? And I think we can put it this way. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea where I read this. I know I read it recently, and I wrote it down. I, I don't know why. I thought I saved it in my email somewhere, but it's this. The fear of the Lord. I've been, I've been trying to find... I, I had one way to describe it, uh, but I think the way I'm about to tell you, and kudos to whoever wrote this. <laughs> um, this is not my, these are not my words, but this is what it says. The fear of the Lord. This, this is a good explanation of it. It's the it's the preventative of carelessness of religion. And now that I'm thinking about it, it sounds a whole lot like Spurgeon or Matthew Henry. I'd have to double check that. But the fear of the Lord, it's this. It's the preventative of carelessness of religion, and it's the incentive of penitence. If that doesn't just throw, throw shivers and goosebumps up and down your spine, man, Listen to that again, because that is so, so true. When we say the fear of the Lord, we're not talking about some cowering fear. I don't remember, 
if I did tell the story about when I when I hid from my mother uh, in Michigan with the chocolate chips, right? I had that fear, like, oh no, I'm gonna get in trouble. Uh, it's not that kind of fear, and again, that example is not very good, and I keep going back to it. I'm so sorry, but it's a fear of the Lord. It's literally it's the preventative of carelessness of religion. What does that mean? It prevents you from just doing the day in and day out, right? How easy is it for us to go to our nine to five job or our nine to six or eight to five job, right? Where we, we, we just go, we're busy all day, like we don't have much time for doing anything else, and then we're, we're home, dinner, bed. And it's just that same routine over and over and over and over and over again. We're not giving much thought or reflection to it. But the fear of the Lord, its purpose, I think this is so good. It's the preventative of that. If you truly fear the Lord, if you truly respect who Christ is, it it sounds bold, but I, I'd be willing to argue it's, it is the preventative of carelessly going about what you say about Christ, right? It's, it's, it's easy, I will say it's easy to put those Sunday clothes on and take them off, right? That's another, I'm sorry I keep throwing around analogies and metaphors here, right? But it's easy to, to, to say one thing and then do completely the other thing, right? Or, or maybe you can put on a really good front but when you get away from the public eye, it's it, it's completely different. You act completely different, right? And in that second part there, the incentive of penitence. I had to look up penitence. I had no idea what it meant. But penitence is repentance. That's that's huge too. It's it's the incentive of repentance. Penitence, and that's so interesting, right? Because the fear of the Lord shouldn't cause us, and, and we see it so far in, in, in the first five uh, chapters of Psalms here, the fear of the Lord is not something that drives you away, right? The sin that David has committed, because uh, some of these, I think it was Psalm 2 or 3, I, don't, I think it was 3 uh, or 4, I can't remember exactly which, where it kind of corresponded with um, David writing about uh, his sin with Bathsheba when he committed adultery. His sin, while maybe he was ashamed, but he was driven back to Christ, right? It didn't drive him away from Christ. It didn't, it didn't just sever him. Well, I should, I should retract that. You know, it, because we are sinful, right, without Christ, we are hellbound. But what I, what I mean is the sin that he committed, yes, it's not good. It's bad. It's separation. He chose separation from God. That's awful. But it did not cause him to just completely drop his faith in Christ and pursue all these worldly desires. In fact, it was it brought him to his knees. It brought David to his knees. His face in weeping, tears, repenting of what he did. He realized what he did was awful and wrong and he repented. And that's what I think we need to take away from here when we when we read about the fear of the Lord, when we're commanded to fear the Lord. It's, it's literally prevent carelessness incentivize repentance. Repent. Don't be careless. You need to repent. Take it seriously, if we can sum it up into one word. I, I, love, I love that description of it. Right, so where were we here? I'm sorry, I kind of went off. Went on a little a rant there. I think we were in um, 
uh, verse 6. Yeah, we're talking about the characteristics of God, right? So this is the future of the unsaved, going back to the just, uh, the justness of God, his judgment, his righteous judgment to judge sin. And I think these last three verses ought to stir up within us a passion and a desire to living according to the word of the word of the Lord. And again, that goes back to the fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord should drive you to the Lord. It should drive you to obedience to the Lord, right? Just as as we mentioned uh, a while back uh, from what uh, a good friend of mine said in Kansas, uh, one of the uh, pastors I, I highly respect, he said, uh, obedience isn't what we do to receive grace. Obedience is what we do because we have received grace. It's because we have already received it that we have to do this. For those who believe, we have to walk in obedience. And in verse 7, David kind of switches his focus here, and he now responds with three prayers. And I want to touch on something real quick. And we're going we're gonna to kind of count them out here as we, we go out. So the first, we'll say, few verses of chapter 5, David kind of, he was praying, and he was asking for the Lord to hear himself. Right? And then immediately in verse 4, he switches. He says, You are not a God who, who takes pleasure in wickedness. The evil don't dwell with you. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those. Skipping on, in fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Make your way straight before my face. Right? What's, what am I getting at? You can kind of hear it, and it goes on even more into the next several verses, and I want you to pay attention to that, and we'll probably read them. A whole lot of yous, and those yous, they might be capitalized in your Bibles, the, the Y. It's referring to God. It's solely referring to God. It's nothing about David here. It's referring to God. We're going to get into that. So no, the first prayer here is for himself. So prayer one is self-directed with a, a request. It's to make straight his way, not David's way, but Christ's way before him, right? But prior to this request, David states humility and humbleness, his action plan, if you will, right? He says a few things. He will come into his God's house because of his God's, his mercy, and in fear, worship him. Right? And we, we've already kind of discussed this, but to reiterate, the fear that we speak of is not one of being terrified that we turn to and run from. And I want to be very clear here. Somebody else, I think uh, one of the pastors that my wife listens to in Texas, uh, one of the ways he, he uh, kind of described um, fear, and I, I've lost my train of thought there, so we're, we're going to leave it. It's probably good. Um it's not, it's not a terrified that we turn to and run from, right? It doesn't cause doubt. No, to fear God, to fear as we have been commanded to, is to be wary of what is coming upon the world. This fear draws us closer to him. Again, it's the incentive to repentance. Uh, and um, I'm already forgetting, my goodness. And uh, preventative of carelessness, right? Man, I need to read that more, uh, obviously, right? But it doesn't cause doubt. It draws us closer to him, further from the world and closer to him, right? Think of a young cadet. This might not be a great example, but for the visual learners out there, which is myself, this might help. You know, a young cadet and a drill sergeant. The drill sergeant uh, is the cadet's boss, and the cadet likely fears him. Why? 
because the cadet doesn't want to maybe fail or disappoint him, right? He doesn't want to act in disobedience. The cadet works heartily to obey the drill sergeant's instruction because he knows that if he doesn't, there will be punishment, right? So it is out of respect and awe that we obey Christ, not that we're scared to lose our salvation, but because when we fall short, we remember the time on the cross and we become like those that spit on him. It's not a call to perfection, but one of repentance. And David came into his house, God's house, because of his mercies. David, David had a multitude of sin, but God's mercies are a multitude greater. And that is a truth that we can all rest assured in. David had a multitude of sins. He had a heavy, heavy burden of sin. But he was able to approach God because of God's mercy. And that is such an important truth to remember. And I want to make it clear again. I know I, I said something a while back, and I think listening back to that, that episode, I'm, I might have stumbled across my words a little bit. But when I talked about um, being too far from God, and like somebody telling you, you, you're just too far from God, you can't be saved. Right? That is an absolute lie. If, if somebody has said that to you, I'm so sorry. Right now, if you're just bent on disobeying the Lord and you will never have anything to do with him, that's your choice. But if you're searching, like, I mean, I'll still talk to you if you, if you want, if, 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 uh, you want to kind of go down that road. But if you have, if you have been told that by somebody in your life, if you're searching and you're asking, maybe you're struggling with something, whether it's greed or lust or uh, jealousy or gossip, whatever it might be, I need you to know that God's mercies are greater. I, I won't say that those things that you're doing are are good because they're not. They are sinful. But please know that you you are no you you are not unsavable. If I if I can say that right. That becomes true when Christ returns, of course, if you've not given your life to Christ, right? That statement becomes true when he returns, okay? But please know, please, please, please hear me. Please keep searching. Please, if anybody said that, toss it out of your mind. It might be hard. It may have hardened your heart, but please toss it out of your mind because this is an absolute truth. David had a multitude of sin, but God's mercies are a multitude greater. And moving into prayer too, it's directed against his enemies, right? And when I say his enemies, I have that H capitalized. You probably can't, you can't hear a capital H in my voice. What was I thinking? God's enemies. Seems bold. Let's talk about it. So verse 9, David says, their mouths are faithless. Their inward part, or maybe stomachs, are a place of destruction, Right, so their drive is to destroy. And that's interesting, right? I believe in, uh, we'll say olden times, the old, what, back in, way back in history, I think um, there's the certain belief or maybe idea that the, we'll say, gut or the stomach kind of drove, excuse me, like the decision Right, if you were hungry, like that was your drive. Right, that's what you were gonna do. You need you needed to feed yourself. So I think, like that, that analogy fits well here. 
uh, when he's talking about their stomachs are a place of destruction because it's they're going to get whatever they want because that is what they want. That's what they want to do, right? That's their drive. And then he says their throats are good only, right? They're only for an open grave, right? And they, their, their tongues, did we already talk about the tongues? I think we did, yes. Their tongues, no, there it is. The, their tongues are as a slope leading to that grave, right? The tongue is a divisive weapon, and words do cut deep. I grew up being told, and this is no slight at anybody, but I, I do think that there, this isn't necessarily true. That, you know, the sticks and stones may break your bones, words may never hurt me, right? I, being who I am now, kind of understanding that uh, phrase for what it is nowadays, words do cut deep. What people say, they do cut deep. Yeah, sticks and stones hurt, but words, they stick forever if you allow them to, right? And, and sometimes they do. They, they, they linger, right? And he's saying their, their, their tongues, they're like a slope leading to the grave of their throats, right? And David makes his case before God and asks us, and maybe you can read this as prophetic, and I, I got some of this, this next section um, from, from one of the commentaries, I believe it was Matthew Henry, where he kind of made an argument for uh, prayer too here, almost being read as prophetic, and I can kind of see it too. But David's pleading to God, pronounce them guilty, cast them out, right? It's, it's not the way, the way it's, um, we can just read it actually, prayer too. He says, their inward part is destruction, the throat is an open tomb, they flatter with their tongue, pronounce them guilty, O God, let them fall by their own counsels, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. And I think he's kind of referencing, if I so may, referencing um, the day of Christ's return. Uh, maybe not specifically, but it's, I think it's at least alluding to when Christ's return you know, if they are in, in, in disobedience to, if they will say have their backs turned to Christ, if I can put it one way, this is their outcome. This is the product of their action, right? He says, pronounce them guilty, cast them out. They rebelled against you, right? These are God's enemies, right? Let's make that very clear, right? Because I think we could probably read this and say, oh, these are David's enemies. No, actually they're not. David's talking about God's enemies. David could easily, uh, we'll say, forgive his enemies just as he has been commanded to. But these are God's enemies. These are the ones that are set that have set themselves right from chapter one or uh, two, excuse me, of Psalms that they have set themselves against God and against His people. Right. So these are the enemies of God that David's talking about. And he's saying, cast them out, pronounce them guilty. They rebelled against you. We are to forgive our enemies. That these are God's enemies. And again, this is where we may read these words as prophetic, right? And I need to actually read uh, Spurgeon's notes here um, on verse 10 because I think they are extremely, extremely important. Um, they're, just, they're just good to, to hear. This man is a genius. But he says this from verse 10. These are Spurgeon's notes. Against thee, not against me. If they were my enemies, I would forgive them, but I cannot forgive thine. We are to forgive our enemies, but God's enemies, it is not in our power to forgive. 
These expressions have often been noticed by men of over-refinement as being harsh, and grafting on the ear, oh, say they, they are vindictive and revengeful, end quote. Let us remember that they may be translated as prophecies, right? So this is actually from Spurgeon, not as wishes, but we do not care to avail ourselves of this method of escape. We have never heard of a reader of the Bible who, after perusing these passages, was made revengeful by reading them, and it is but fair to test the nature of a writing by its effects. When we hear a judge condemning a murderer, however severe his sentence, we do not feel that we should be justified in condemning others for any private injury done to us. The psalmist here speaks as a judge. He speaks as God's mouth, and in condemning the wicked, he gives us no excuse whatever for uttering anything in the way of malediction upon those who have caused us personal offense. The most shameful way of cursing another is by pretending to bless him. I'm going to read that again. The most shameful way of cursing another is by pretending to bless him. We were all somewhat amused by noticing the toothless malice of that wretched old priest of Rome when he foolishly cursed the emperor of France with his blessing. He was blessing him in form and cursing him in reality. Now, in direct contrast, we put his healthy com combination of David, which is intended to be a blessing by warning the sinner of the impending curse. O impenitent man, or O irrepentant man, be it known unto thee that all thy godly friends will give their solemn assent to the awful sentence of the Lord, which he shall pronounce upon thee in the day of doom. Our verdict shall applaud the condemning curse, which the judge of all the earth shall thunder against the godless. End quote from Spurgeon. That was a lot. You may have to pause and reread through that. I did read through it kind of quick, and I do apologize. But it's, it's powerful. It's some good stuff. And as we close here, we see the third prayer. And this is in verses 11 to 12. We're going to reread them. This is verse 11. But let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy, because you, as in God, defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the, the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. Do you guys hear all those yous? It's, again, all directed back to Christ. It's about Christ. And listen to those, per those, those perfect and wonderful promises. Everyone that is in trust has trusted in you, as in God. Let them also rejoice with audible, literal, audible shouts, because you, God, are defender. And those who love your name, I pray they are joyful in you. Why? Because the Lord blesses the righteous. His favor is like a shield around him. I think about that. His favor is like a shield around them. We think of a shield, right? Typically, for us humans, it's a, it's a shield just right in front of us. We can kind of position it to and fro. But the, the shield that God offers, it's not just in front, it's all around. Rest assured in that, fellow brothers and sisters. Rest assured in the shield of Christ. Because the Lord blesses the righteous. His favor is like a shield around him. And I think with that, we can say amen. I hope this time has been a blessing. 
I am praying for you guys. Um, I'm excited to kind of get back on a regular schedule this month. It's it's busy. It's crazy. Um, but that's no excuse. But bear with me. Hopefully we can get back on a regular schedule. But I appreciate you all. And until next time, this has been The Word. God bless.